Okay, so today's daf is Pei Vav in uh, Masechet Psachim. I, I think it, we'll, we'll try, uh, let's try to start from the Mishnah Pei Hei Amud Bet, even though it's a little bit of a long stretch, but I think we'll be able to make it because it's pretty light. So the Mishnah says, Ever So it says, if when it comes to a, an, a limb of the Quran Pesach that went outside, now what it means by went outside in the case of Quran Pesach is that it went outside the, uh, the Yerushalayim, because Yerushalayim is the limit for Quran Pesach. So what do you do? You're not allowed to break the bone of Korban Pesach, as we know. So you cut down through the meat until you get to the bone, the kolef, and then you peel back the flesh at Shemegila Perek. You get to the joint, you have to separate it at the joint because you're not allowed to break the bone of Mokhtashi. But when it comes to other Korbanot Kotzitz, you could use a regular cleaver to chop it because you're allowed to break the bones if part of it went outside. Because the point is that the part that went outside Yerushalayim uh, is pasul. You're not allowed to eat it, it has to be burnt, so therefore you have to separate it from the rest. Since none of the other korbanot have a rule that you're not allowed to break the bones, you're allowed to break them off. Um, anything which is from the actual uh, doorway and, and, and within is considered like within. Anything from the edge and out is like the outside. And the, uh, the windows, windows here doesn't necessarily mean glass windows, but openings in the wall and uh, doorways, openings in the wall and the wall, the thickness of the wall itself is considered like inside. So up to the thickness of the wall, uh, the, like the doorway itself is considered like inside. We don't consider the doorway to be outside already. Um, so up to the outer edge is considered inside. The same is true with tefillah. Now Rashi explains here the tefillah that if a person's standing in the doorway, he can count towards the minyan. Tosafot says that that's not what it's talking about, but let's just stick with Rashi for now. So he says, no, it means that you can be standing in the doorway and still count for the minyan. This is in distinction to Rabbi Yosho ben Levi. According to Rabbi Yosho ben Levi, even if you're standing outside the door, you should count. If you're standing right there, you should count towards the the minyan, that's how Rashi interprets it, and uh, whereas uh, we see that um, that uh, Rav Yehuda is saying that, no, if you're, only if you're standing in the doorway, you can count towards minyan. Okay, we have a contradiction, because it says in the Mishnah, from the doorway and inside is inside, which implies that that the the doorway, the thickness of a doorway itself is outside. But and then it says from the doorway and outside, it's like the outside. So that, that implies that the doorway itself is uh, is considered inside. Why, why does it have to say all those different examples? You know, that's, uh, just say what the status is of the thickness of the wall, and you don't need to talk about the inside and the outside and so on. So it says, this is the difference between the wall, the doorways of the uh, actual Beit Hamikdash, and the doorways of Yerushalayim. Because the, the gateways of Yerushalayim were not actually um, were not actually holy. Because the door, the actual gates of outside the city of Yerushalayim, so a mitzvah is not allowed to enter Yerushalayim at all. That's one of the things they have to go outside of, even of Yerushalayim. So he's allowed to go under the, they would go under the gates of Yerushalayim to, pr- to protect them from the sun or from the rain. So they didn't sanctify the doorway, basically. The doorway wasn't like so thin. It was a thick, you know, passageway into the city. And so they, uh, they, they didn't make it holy because they wanted them to be able to stand there. Okay, so that was, that was special. But when it comes to the doors of the, uh, uh, of the Beit HaMikdash, so there, the thickness of the door is included in the, in the inside. 
was even one gate into the Beit Hamikdash, into the courtyard of the Beit Hamikdash that was not sanctified, which was the Shal Nikanor Mepneishim Mitzoraim Omedinsham veUmachlisin Baonot Yadam, because they were, the Mitzoraim had to stand there and have the blood placed on their fingers. So Rashi explains. That uh, on the on the eighth day after they did all of their process of purification and they went to the mikveh on the eighth day they would have to bring their korbanot even though they they completed all of their process of purification the mitzvah still has to bring his korbanot before he's allowed to set foot in the in the bet hamikdash itself so he would stand outside the bet hamikdash would stand in the gateway and stick his thumbs in because they had to put the thumb. They had to put his uh, the blood on the thumb of the mitzvah and on his ear in order for him to be able to uh, be purified. So the um, so he had to participate, but without actually stepping into the courtyard of the Beit Hamikdash. So therefore, they made one gate of the Beit Hamikdash. Also, didn't have the sanctity of the azara. That's a, that, so some d- thickness of the doorways in general, though, of the Beit Hamikdash was included in the. Uh, in the kedushah uh, of the of the azara. Now we said regarding the. Um, the windows and the thickness of the wall. However, the upper stories, and he, and according to the way Rashi explains it, and we'll see in the Gemara certainly supports this, that uh, what it, that it's talking about the upper stories even of in Yerushalayim, meaning the roofs, like people would sit on the roof to eat very commonly, right? That didn't have the kedushah of Yerushalayim. If you had to eat a korban in Yerushalayim, you weren't allowed to sit on your roof. You had to be on the on the ground. Okay, or on the second story. You had to be on the ground floor, according to this, in order to eat. Um, and similarly in the Beit HaMikdash, the upper stories of the, uh, you know, the, around the Beit HaMikdash, there were different chambers and first floor and second floor and so on, and they didn't have Kiddushah like the Azara itself, like the courtyard itself. And is that true? They didn't say in the name of Rabbi Chia that each person would get a Kazayit of the Pesach. In other words, there would be gigantic groups that would be eating the Koban Pesach together. Each person would only get a Kazayit because there was so little to go around because there were so many people, and from the sound of the Hallel, the roof was going to break. Pakaigra means that the roof felt like it was going to uh, collapse because it was so loud. So that shows you that they were on the roof eating it, right? So we turn to Pevabal with Alev. My love, doesn't it mean that they were eating on the roof? And that shows you that the roof is considered part of Yerushalayim and you're allowed to eat the Korban there. No, it says, so doesn't it mean it means that they were eating on the roof and they sang Hallel on the roof. It could be that they ate the Korban Pesach on the ground uh, and then they went up to the roof to sing because it was more exciting to sing on the roof. Who knows? Anyway, is that really true? Didn't we learn in the Mishnah, very famous Mishnah towards the end, that you're not allowed to have afikoman at the conclusion of the Pesach, which means you shouldn't go from one group to the other. In other words, what you're not allowed to do is take your stuff and go join another group in eating the Korban Pesach, right? You're not allowed to, uh, uh, so therefore you shouldn't be allowed to pick up your stuff, you eat on the ground floor and then go up to the roof because you're moving from one place to the other. So it says, that's only when you're still eating. You're not allowed to go from one, one place to the other. But once you're completely done eating and you just want to say halal, no problem. You can go up, say halal on the roof and have the last cup of wine on the roof and it's no problem. Tashma, come and listen. Abba Shaul Omer, Aliyat Beit Kodesh Kodashim, Chamabi Beit Kodesh Kodashim. Actually, the Kodesh Kodashim is less holy than the roof of the Kodesh Kodashim. Why? Shabbat Kodesh Kodashim, Kohen Gadol Nachnas El Pamachat Bashana. Because the Kohen Gadol goes into the Kodesh Kodashim once a year. Aliyat Beit Kodesh Kodashim, but the upper story, in Nachnasin Lail Pamachat Bashavua. But they only go to the upper story, the attic, sort of, you know, of the, of the Kodesh Kodeshim, once in every seven years. And some people say it's some people say it's, only, it's twice a year. Right? Some say it's, uh, uh, some, some say it's once every seven years. Some say it's twice every seven. Some say it's once in a Yovel. 
once in every 50 years. To see what is necessary. In other words, what kind of repairs are necessary. They would only go up there so rarely that it was even more holy, so to speak, than the Kodesh HaKodeshim in the sense that it wasn't gone into very often. And yet you see it's calling, what? The roof holy. So we said that the roofs are not holy. So it says, How can a person come and raise an objection from the Hechal? The Hechal is different. Because because we know because it says, David gave to Shlomo Beno et Avnita Olam, that means that he gave him the structure of exactly what the inside part of the Beit HaMikdash is supposed to look like. It's different chambers, different store areas, it's upper chambers, it's rooms, in the inner rooms, and where the Aron was stored. Right? So all of these things, very famous pasuk that they always quote, everything was written from Hashem, uh, was, was given to me to understand. In other words, David HaMelech said that the exact layout of the Beit HaMikdash was given to him by Ruach HaKodesh. He didn't make it up, okay? So what does that mean? That means to say that, the, the, remember, the Beit HaMikdash is made up of multiple components. You have the Harabayit. Harabayit is another thing. But then you have the Azara. The Azara is the courtyards. Courtyards are not as holy. The courtyard is not as holy as the action. The, the courtyard has no roof, right? The courtyard is the part that's open to the sky where they have the big Mizbeach and all that. But then you have the Ulam and the Hechal. That is the structure that has the Kodesh, that has the Kodesh and the Kodesh Kodeshim. It actually has three things. It has Ulam, Kodesh and Kodesh Kodeshim. So that roofed structure, that has a roof over it, right? That part is exactly according to Ruach HaKodesh of David HaMelech, and therefore even the upper chambers of that had a Kiddushah, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about the roofs of houses in Yerushalayim, and we're talking about the roofs of the uh, courtyard chambers. We're not talking about the Hechal. Hechal, it's true. It says in the Pasuk that even the upper chambers had Kiddushah. Now, we learned that if you had chambers that were built in the Kodesh, meaning on the, the, ter- the uh, land of the Beit HaMikdash, but the opening is to the outside. In other words, the room itself is sitting on the Beit HaMikdash uh, uh, land, but, the, but it only, you, you can't go into the, uh, the courtyard from it, right? You can only go out. So it only has an outer entrance. It doesn't have an entrance to the inside. So to Chanchol, the inside is Chol, Kodesh. It says that the roof of those chambers are, is Kodesh. So how could that be that the roof of those chambers is Kodesh? If the, uh, you just told me that the roofs are not, uh, are, don't have any Kedusha. So it's talking about where the, the, these, are low, these are chambers that are low around the Beit HaMikdash. So therefore, the roof of the chamber is actually even with the, the ground of the courtyard, and it's actually an underground chamber. So basically, its exit and entrance are to the Har Habayit. They're not into the Beit HaMikdash. The roof of that chamber is actually the ground of the Beit HaMikdash, and that's why the roof would be holy. Iachiv, that's Reh Masefa. What about the end of that statement that says, It says that if the chamber was built on ground that was not holy, but it's open to the, the it's open to the courtyard. So then the inside of the chamber is going to have kiddushah because it enters into the courtyard. and the top is going to be chol. If you're going to tell me that we're talking about a case where the top of this uh, where the top of the chambers is uh, is is uh, fl- is flush with the is on the same level as the azara. Well, that's like. Tunnels underneath. We learned that tunnels underneath the Beit Hamikdash don't have any kedusha. So why would you say that we're, if we're talking about underground chambers here? So why is he saying that the inside would be holy? The inside should not be holy because you're saying that the that it's really underground. 
That's only where the opening is to Harabait. When the opening is to Harabait, so then we say that if it's underneath, if it's under the ground, then it is not holy. But if it opens into the actual courtyard, then it is holy, even if it's underground. And then in that case, the roof would also be holy because the roof is actually going to be uh, the, the courtyard too. We're talking here about where it's open to the Azra. So the point is that they're trying very mightily to say that the only time the roof of a chamber will be actually have any kedusha is if that roof of that cha- if that chamber is underground, so that the roof of the chamber is actually yeah. even with the ground of the Beit Hamikdash, and the chamber itself will be holy only where the it's it's underneath and it enters into the courtyard. So then that that chamber itself will also have kedusha. But then we learn in a bright that uh, that the chambers that are underneath the hechal are chol. They're not holy. That's only talking about where the opening is to the outside. In other words, if a tunnel goes underneath the Beit Hamikdash, but it doesn't open in any way to the Beit Hamikdash, so that also doesn't have any kedusha. So no problem. So then Tashma come and listen. kodesh. It says that the roof, the top, is kodesh. And here, what are we talking about? Gagoshel hechal. This is actually talking about the top of the hechal. So before we said that the aliyot of the hechal, the upper chambers of the hechal, of the roofed part of the Beit Hamikdash, are holy. But we didn't say anything about the roof. Now it's the roof itself, right? So now it's saying the roof is also holy. How so? Ha'katani gagin halalo en ochlin. How could it be that you're telling me that the roof of the Echal is holy? We already learned that you're not allowed to eat there, Kodesh Kodeshim, and you're not allowed to slaughter Kodeshim Kalim, meaning we don't treat it like the Azara. We don't treat the roof of the Echal. How could Rabbi Yehuda say here, or how could the Brayta say here, Vigago Kodesh, at the top of the Hechal is Kodesh, when we know for a fact that you can't slaughter Korbanot on top of the Hechal, and you're not allowed to eat Korbanot that need to be eaten in the Beit HaMikdash on top of the Hechal, so obviously it doesn't have the Kedushah of the Beit HaMikdash. So what does it mean? Ela ve'ela, kasha gago Kodesh. So then we're stuck with the fact that it says that the, the roof is holy. That's only with regard to the two Amot. What that means is not two Amot of size, meaning the two sticks that they had that they kept in the roof of the Hechal. We learned in the Mishnah, and we actually learned this together a while back in, uh, it was mentioned a couple different places. What? No, 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 not Kalam. No, it's not. It says in the Mishnah, Shtei Amot Hayab Shushan Abirah. Shushan is the name of a, a certain chamber in the Beit HaMikdash that was called Shushan Abirah because it was to remind them of Galut Pavel. Achat al Kem Zachit Tzfonit. One was on the was kept on the on the north uh, the northeast side. Achat al Kem Zachit Tzfonit. One was on the southeast. Zosh al Kem Zachit Tzfonit. Taita Yidral Shal Moshe Chatziatzba. One that was on the side of the uh, was on the northeast was more than the the Amav Moshe by a half of an etzba. Was a little bit more than an Amav. And the, uh, and the one that was on the southeast was even another half uh, etzba. So it was a full finger's width greater than Moshe Rabbeinu's measurement. Now the idea was these measurements, were you, what it's talking about is measuring sticks. They basically kept two measuring sticks in the Hechal to measure the materials that they would give to workers to do work to make sure that they didn't take too much and they returned the right amount. Right? Because the workers would take with the small one. In other words, when they would take materials from the Beit HaMikdash, they would use the smaller measuring stick to say that they were taking an Amaz worth, they would take the smaller measuring stick. And when they would return it, they would return it with one that was bigger. In other words, they would use the Moshe Rabbeinu one, the exact one when they would take, and they would return a little bit more. So they didn't accidentally take 
keep anything that really belonged to the Beit HaMikdash. So whatever they would return, they would return more. They actually returned a little bit of their own material back so that they wouldn't uh, be, be misappropriating. They wouldn't misappropriate anything. So why two sticks? Depends. If you're talking about stones, so they could use a little bit more of an overcorrection was okay. But if you're talking about gold and silver, very expensive, you can't overcorrect too much on the on the cheshbon uh, of the uh, of the workers. They're gonna, he's going to have to, the contractor is going to lose a lot of money. Nobody's going to want to do work for the Beit HaMikdash either. Because they're going to lose a lot of money returning more than what they took. The point is that what was, in what way was the roof of the Hechal holy? Not that it actually had Kiddushah. You actually couldn't do anything on that roof that, that required the holiness of the Beit HaMikdash. What it meant was, was that they stored certain things there that were used for Kodesh. It doesn't mean that it actually had Kiddushah. So we're still supporting Rav's view that the roofs are not considered to be holy at all. The roofs in Jerusalem are not considered to have the Kiddushah of Jerusalem and the roofs of the Beit HaMikdash are not considered to have the Kiddushah of the roofs of the Beit HaMikdash. The only exception is that the Aliyot, the second floors, inside the Hechal, because David HaMelech said that was an integral part of the Beit HaMikdash, so they do have the Kedusha. But uh, similarly, the tunnels that go underneath, or the chambers, only the parts that are exactly level with the, uh, the floor of the courtyard of the Beit HaMikdash have the Kedusha of the Beit HaMikdash. We learned in the Mishnah, we said in the uh, that the uh, the windows, the openings in the walls, and the thickness of the walls, kilifnim is like the inside. So we could figure out the kalkazara. We could see that the that windows, meaning openings in the walls, can reach the floor, can reach the ground. So therefore, they they're considered equal with the ground of the uh, of the courtyard. But the thickness of the wall, how could you say that the wall itself is considered to be part of the azara since the wall itself rises above? The, uh, the, the floor of the Bet HaMikdash. You could find it with the smaller wall. That it says in Echa, the Chil and the Choma were sad. There was a regular wall and a smaller wall. What it means is that there was the major wall that goes around the courtyard, which would not be, co- but its thickness would not count as uh, having Kedushat Hazorah, meaning that if you stood on that wall, you would not be considered in the Bet HaMikdash for all intents and purposes um, because it's elevated above the floor of the Hazorah. However, there was a smaller wall that went around, uh, uh, around the inside of the courtyard, and that wall was shorter. And since the courtyard of the Bet HaMikdash was on an incline because it was on a mountain, so, there was, so actually the, that shorter wall, its top was level with the upper with the elevated, inclined parts of the, of the courtyard. And so therefore it could be considered to be a part of the Azara itself because it was level with the Azara where the Azara rose up. Okay, even though it itself, obviously where it was standing, it, there was no, uh, it, the, the, the ground was beneath it. But as the ground goes up, that wall would actually be lower than it, so therefore it could be considered part of the Azar. So the conclusion is that these walls do not count towards the uh, Beit HaMikdash itself. Only somebody who's standing on the actual floor would be considered uh, in the Beit HaMikdash, with the exception of this wall, that since this wall itself is lower, actually, is inside and is lower than the Beit HaMikdash floor at a certain point, so therefore it could be considered to be inside, okay? No problem. Everything in Yerushalayim is apartments when we... Yeah, you're gonna have to eat on the ground. You have to go downstairs, eat downstairs, and like on the first floor. Yeah, it'd be complicated. Why That's what he said. That's the whole thing was discussing. You're not on the ground of Eretz Yisrael. True. He's just saying that the kedusha is only set on the ground. He's saying the ground is the where the kedusha is. You see the people come off the airplane, they kiss the floor, they kiss. Uh, Maybe the 
they might kiss the other things too. No, they, 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 the, the, the truth is that they could extend the kedushah b'yushalayim if they had to. So, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm I, I, maybe they I'm could extend the kedushah upwards. I'm, I'm not sure, but I, I would assume that they could probably do that if they needed to. I'm going to give you a different uh, example. I went to a cemetery in Israel. They be in Komor. Yeah, that's the opposite of kedushah. Right, but that's that's kvura on the ground. That's kvura. It's not kedushah. It's different. It's different. Okay, so now we have the mishnah. Huh? Right. Yeah. It's a, yeah. It's a. It's 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 a different. It has different rules. A different concept. Because they could also just bury in. They used to just bury in the wall of the cave. They didn't even bury. They didn't even bury. They just put them on a flat thing and a cave and. Left it there. I know, but I'm saying Kvura's different has different rules because you didn't even have to put you don't even have to put somebody in the ground. You could put somebody in the in a cave and leave them, and it's considered Kvura. It's, it's also Kvura. You can put them in the wall of a cave. That's what they used to do. So the rules are different. Anyway, the Mishnah says So we have here a uh, a question of what does it mean Basically, the pasuk says that it has to be eaten in one house. That's what it says about the korban pesach. So what is the what is the the situation here. So this is one opinion. We're going to see the Gemara is going to bring another opinion. But two groups are eating in one house and they're eating the same Koban Pesach actually but they divide it into two groups which is okay. The only thing is that once you decide your group you can't move to the other group. Okay? You have to pick a group. So once you're in a group so it says one group faces one way and eats and one group faces the other way that eats and eats and to make sure that they don't you know, eat from each other's. They can have the hot water in the middle. They would use hot water actually to mix their wine um, they could use the same, in other words, shared stuff. They just couldn't eat together. When the shamash would get up, the waiter would get up to pour for each other. So he had to close his mouth and he had to walk backwards. Because he's going to the other group and he doesn't want to accidentally eat from that other group or look like he's eating from that other group. So he has to close his mouth, walk backwards. Okay, and that's and, until he comes back to his group and he eats again. And even though the kala is part of a certain group, she's allowed to turn her back on her group because she feels shy. She feels like everyone's looking at her. She's a new bride and all that. She's allowed to turn away from her group and eat and it doesn't, it's not a problem for her to do that. Okay, now the Gemara says, Who is our Mishnah following? Rabbi Yudahi. It says that, the, uh, that you put the blood on the homes that you eat it in. Right? Yochlu is in plural, right? So you can eat the Korban Pesach in Two groups. Maybe you'll say that that means that the person who's eating can eat in two groups also. You can only eat in one house, which means to say, The thing is like this. You can only eat it. In other words, the, the Korban Pesach can be divided into two groups, but an individual cannot eat in more than one group. So that means that if the Shamash, if the guy who's roasting the Korban Pesach for you decides to take a bite, you know, while he's doing it, so now we established himself to have a separate makom. So if his group now wants to sit over on the other side of the room, he can't join them. He's going to be excluded from the rest of the Korban Pesach. He can only sit by where he's sitting now. It says if they want to do him a favor, they can come sit by the tanur, they can come sit by the oven and eat the Korban Pesach with him so he won't be excluded. But otherwise, he'd better fill his stomach from the Korban Pesach now since he started eating in a separate place because he cannot continue eating in a different place once his group goes and sits down on the other side of the room. Okay, that's Rabbi Yudah. Rabbi Yudah is saying they can only choose one makom. The barbecue guy starts tasting some of it and then he, he can't he can't continue and, and another but place. before doing that he had to assign himself to a certain group right he was part of a certain group but, but then he then he separated and he started eating so the, so that's the problem he was part of a group yeah he was that's why it says his group could come sit with him there now and then he could continue but if they decide to sit in another place now it's considered that if he goes and joins them it will be bad 
He can't go join them now. Right now, according to Rabbi Yishimon, it's different. He says it's the opposite. No, a person can eat in two places. You might think that that means that it can't be eaten into, that it could be eaten into groups, that the Korban Pesach could be divided into groups. It says that in one house shall it be eaten. So in other words, according to Rabbi Shimon, it's exactly the opposite. It's not a problem of the person, right? The person could, you can, the Korban Pesach cannot be divided into two different groups. Okay, according to Rabbi Yudah, the Korban Pesach can be divided into two different groups, but as soon as you, you have a group or a location, you can't go to another location. And even if you separated from your group and started eating, you can't now join them because it's a new location, according to Rabbi Yudah. It doesn't matter how many locations you have for, per Korban Pesach. It matters how many locations you ate in. Okay? According to Rabbi Shimon, it's the opposite. The Korban Pesach can only be eaten in one place in one group if you decide to then take your piece of meat and go sit in another room and eat it that's okay because you didn't create a new group for that Korban Pesach you just decided to go eat in the kitchen okay that would be okay according to Rabbi Shimon according to Rabbi Yudah that would not be okay you have to stay with your group now now what's the Machloket Rabbi Yudah yesh em masoret according to Rabbi Yudah yesh em masoret this is a Machloket throughout the Shas Rabbi Shimon yesh em mikra. what that means to say is that <coughs> what we have two different interpretations we have well, we have one thing that says yes, which means you look at how the pasuk is written, how the consonants of the pasuk are written of the words, right? So what does it say? Yud alef kaflamid. What is it? Yochal. So Rabbi Yehuda says, I read that I look at what's written. The word is Yochal, which means he may eat it in one place. Meaning the person is restricted. The person is restricted. Right? According to Rabbi Shimon, no. Lamikra means the way we read it, which is Yeachel. It shall be eaten in one place. Meaning a reference not to the person eating, a reference to the Korban Pesach. So according to Rabbi Shimon, the Korban Pesach has to be eaten by one group. But that doesn't mean you can't go step outside and continue eating your Korban Pesach. According to Rabbi Yehuda, that's the opposite. You have to eat it in one place and choose. But the Korban Pesach could be divided up into more than one group. And that's, that's, what, that's what it means. Now, Hayu Yoshin Let's say the whole group is together, and all of a sudden somebody spreads out a curtain between them. Okay, so now they've gotten separated. So So according to Rabbi Yehuda, who says it's no problem for the same Korban Pesach to be eaten in two groups, it's no problem. You were on the left side of the table before, you're still on the left side. You're on the right side before, you're on the right side. No problem. But if if you're not allowed to eat the Korban Pesach in two groups, this would be worse. Putting a curtain between them, now you divided them into two groups. You can't continue, according to Rabbi Shimon. On the other hand... um, on the other hand, Hayu Yoshvin, if they were sitting and originally there was a machita between them. Now we must be talking about two Korban Pesachs in this case, because according to Rabbi Shimon, you wouldn't be able to have a curtain between people eating the same Korban Pesach anyway. So now you separate you now all of a sudden it's gone. So according to the one who says that you can eat the Korban Pesach in two places. So before you were eating it in a small room, now you're eating it in a big room because the curtain was removed. So that's okay. So keep eating. But according to Rabbi Yehuda, who says that you can't eat in two places, it's like you changed the place you're eating in. So now you're not going to be able to eat because they removed the curtain. So now it's like removing the divider, changed the room. It's like you're eating in a different room. You shouldn't state this as a fact. This is not a fact. This is a question. Really, it's a question that should be left unresolved. Do we consider, if everyone is sitting in exactly the same place, and the only thing that changed was either they spread a curtain in between them, 
Is that considered changing the place to two mikomot? If they take it away, is that considered creating a, a new makom? It should be a question and take one. We don't know the answer to that. It's not so obvious that it should be considered. You didn't move. You didn't go anywhere. What, what, how is it a different place? Because they moved a curtain, they put a curtain. So that's a question. Now, it said that the bride can turn her face away. Because she's embarrassed. No people are looking at her. She's a new bride and all that. One time, Rav Huna, the son of Rav Natan, came to the house of Rav Nachman Yitzchak. They said to him, What's your name? My name is Rafuna. Amru Neitev Morapuria. They said, "Would you like to sit on this bed?" And Yativi sat down. Yavule Kasa. They gave him a cup. Kiblei bechad zimna. He took it without any tarof. He just took it. He took the wine, right? And he drank it in two sips. And he did not turn away. So they said to him, Why did you say your name is Rav Huna? Why, didn't you, why weren't you modest and say, you know, my name is just Huna? Why did you say I'm Rav Huna? Like you're such a big shot. This was my name since I was a kid. They called me Rav Huna. Right? Like they, like they, right, like they call the kids Mola. Right? The religious kids is Mola. Right? If a religious kid is praying all the time, they call the grandfather, goes, oh, he's Mullah is coming. Even though he's not really, uh, ra- they call him, oh, he's a rabbi already. Right? Yes, yes. So that's, yeah. So, so they always called me that. Why did you sit down when they told you to sit on the bed? It's like, you think you're such a big shot. Why did you sit on the ground like everyone else? Whatever a person, whatever the balabai tells you, you do it. You don't ask. You told me to sit here. I sat here. Right? Now, why did you receive the cup? You didn't do any tarof. You took it right away. You only do tarof to somebody who's lower than you. But somebody who's great. I come to Rabbi Nachman Bar Yitzchak. He tells me to drink the wine. I, I don't argue with him. Yeah, some people say, most people take that out. That's a joke. Down here it says that uh, some like Saniver is making No, some, some people take it out. Some people leave it in, you know? There's a whole discussion about what, what that chutz mitzvah, whether it belongs or not. But I'm just excluding it because most of the versions, they don't have it. But uh, the, some people say that it means unless he tells you to go out and do errands for him. You don't have to listen to him, you know. And there's different interpretations of what it means. But in any case, yeah, yeah. My time, why did he drink it in two sips? Because if you drink everything in one shot, you look like a pig. You know, it's two, two sips. That's appropriate. If it's three, it looks like you, you're, you're, you're so high class. You know, you have to drink it like this. You know, so clear. So my Why did you not turn your face away? What? It's going to say that. It's going to say that. It's going to say that. Amalu kalau fechet panea because it says that a bride turns her face away. I'm not embarrassed, so I should have to turn away when I'm drinking. Okay, so now Tanan the Mishnah says Rabbi Shmuel Rabbi Yosi iklal be Rabbi Shimon Rabbi Yosi ben Lakonya. So one time Rabbi Shmuel Rabbi Yosi came to the house of Rabbi Shimon Rabbi Yosi ben Lakonya. Yavu lekasa they gave him a cup. Kabli b'chadzimne again he took it the first time. Rabbi Shatia b'chadzimne he took it. He drank it in one shot. Uh oh, he's drinking. It must have been good. Amal amrelei they said to him loza valamora shotekos abubat the Right? So, the, the, you know, didn't you, uh, didn't you learn you're not supposed to drink it in one shot? You're giving me a small cup. Right? You gave me a small cup. And it's so sweet. The wine is so good. My stomach is very big. It's all relative. To me, that's a tiny cup. It's one sip, but I drank. You know, that's exactly what you were saying, right? Shot glass, right? Because you can get the shot glass that's one shot, and then you can get the very big shot glass, and you can make it look like it's one, but it's really, you know, three times as much. That when the the way that Rashi interprets this is it doesn't have 
directly to do with Korban Pesach. Some of the Rishonim have it that it has to do with Korban Pesach. Rashi says this is just a matter of Derech Eretz. If you come in three people, the waiter has to serve you. Meaning if it's just two people, the waiter, whoever it is that, uh, that, you know, that is there, he doesn't serve one or two people, they, serve, they take care of themselves. But it's three people, he comes to serve. But then they leave one by one and he still serves them until they're gone. That's only if everyone comes at the same time. This is the worst thing, you know? When, when you have a group of people that come to eat and then at the end one more guy comes and the waiter is like, you know, has a whole table there. It's just one guy sitting there, you know, everyone else left already. You know, you feel bad for him. Anyway, that's what it's talking about, right? If he came in at the same time and he's lingering, that's one thing. But if he's actually uh, just comes very late and he's still eating, right? So, uh, she says that that means that they should tell him, you know, that we're going to be leaving one by one. Sorry, you know, it's a little bit of trouble for the waiter to have to take care of, you know, dwindling a group. But yes, it says that you have to pay the waiter and remember that if a person stays late, he has to give extra tip. So now he's going to leave early. <laughs> if he's smart, right? But the Allah doesn't follow that. You don't have to give an extra tip if you stay late once you're already there. If you came on time, you came with the group. So then you, uh, you expect the same service. And that's That's the conclusion of this parak. We'll start the next parak tomorrow. And of course, as I mentioned, the Rambam actually and the Rabbeinu Hanan El, who's brought in this Tosafot on the side, have an interpretation that it has to do with the Korban Pesach and that three people who get together to eat the Korban Pesach can start even without the later person. And they can start being served and start to say they're even without people who are coming late um, once they have a critical mess of three. That's, they discuss it as in terms of the Halachot of Korban Pesach. But it's interesting that you see that even, you know, nowadays you always have that person who asks the challenges the rabbi well, why did you do this? You know, they did, what about this? And, and they had that back then too, you know, so you don't have to feel Nothing bad changed. that they do it today. Yeah, nothing has changed. <laughs>